Welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and I'm joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, back from Wild and Free. Are you feeling wild and free? Yes, it was very wild and free. I mean, they warned me. (laughs) I mean, I kind of knew, you know, they were called wild and free, but um, I was not prepared for everything. (laughs) Uh, They like to put their speakers through... Uh, something embarrassing um, each each <laughs> each year or each time they have a conference and thankfully it wasn't dancing this year or I really would have been embarrassed I basically had to ride a big giant tricycle in a race around a relay race that we had with the other speakers so I managed to do my leg of the race and um, with all these moms screaming at me get off get off it's time to get off like you you had to jump <laughs> off really fast that was the hardest part for me <laughs> so so it's, it really is in the name they they they're not hiding what they're all about no they are just out there having a really fun time and, <laughs> and it, it, as an encouragement and it's an encouraging conference and that's what yeah. they're there for i've heard good things yeah they're very i don't think i'm the target demo no no <laughs> No, um, there was a few men working the, you know, the sound equipment, things like that, but mostly moms, very, very uh, young, beautiful moms. So it was, it was a great pleasure to be there. Did you feel like your talks were well received? Did you feel like you did, you did well? Um, They were very well received. The girls were so sweet to me. I, um, they were more well received than I even expected. So I tried, you know, when you go to speak somewhere, you feel a burden of responsibility. You want to give the people who come, you know, something to hold on to. So um, that they were well received is very gratifying because you, you just don't want to feel like you let down the side and, uh, and and moms are there you know it's not easy for a mom to get to a conference so right. you want to make sure when she gets there she's fed and able to go back home and um, um take care of her family yeah yeah that that the effort was worth it yeah yeah i mean we definitely i definitely understand that we feel that every year when we put on our conference yeah you which you is not a it's, a, it's a different thing it's a you know it's a different <laughs> You mean it's not wild and free? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's definitely... there's, there's some wild moments. <laughs> We're not allowed to talk about those, but there, yeah, there's apparently. some wild moments. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But there's, um, you know, I, I get that. You know, I get that sense of, I don't know if there's a sense of responsibility. Or yes. Just, so the people are putting in effort and time and money into it, and they're trusting you with that, and you want to make sure that it's of some value to them. Um, you know, not unlike the time that people put into listening to podcasts, you know, we got to make sure that it's worth people's while that they're, they're going to choose to listen to us over anything else they could listen to. They could be listening to NPR and they're yes. to listen to us talk. So um, we're going to answer a question today. Um, but also you've got, you know, you have some guests coming up that you wanted to mention. And um, yeah, we have from- a couple, I have a few guests coming up, but I am um, in the works immediately. Um, we're going to have, we're going to be talking to Renee Mathis, who is an old friend of mine, a longtime homeschooling mom. And she's going to, we're going to talk about friendship and how mm. important that is in the mm. lives of moms, especially um, one of the things I noticed at Wild and Free, and I know um, from going to the Cersei conference Apart from all the talks and all the encouragement, um, a lot of what happens at a conference is that you that you become friends with people that are like you and you meet like-minded people. So um, Renee and I are going to talk about that 
a little bit and um, how our friendship just has developed and, you know, some just some pointers for moms and things that, um, when, cause, because many moms, it's, it, you know, when you go to a conference, it seems like, whoa, lots of friends, lots of friends, but then many moms <laughs> go home. Yeah. Yeah. And they're alone in their communities. So um, we, want, we want to hit on some of that. Mm. And then the other guest that I'm having, I'm excited about, I've been on her podcast, is Jennifer Pepito. She's a wild and free mom who does Charlotte Mason homeschooling. And she also has nine children like I do. So we ha- mm. she's a little bit behind me, not far behind, but a little bit. So um, it's great for me to always talk to Jennifer. I love talking to Jennifer. She's, she's a lot of fun and mm. um, very serious-minded, wild and free girl. <laughs> well, so those will be great. I know we're going to run the Renee's, the interview with Renee um, next week. So today is October 2nd that we're recording. So it'll go up the week of October 8th, uh, the okay. Monday, October 8th. So that'll go up that week on uh, probably Wednesday. So what's that? The the 10th or something like that? I have no idea. (laughs) I only do one day at a time. Today, I don't even... I had to go go backwards, then forwards, then add a couple days. Yeah. My husband tries to tell me his work schedule. And I'm just like, just just tell me what you're doing the next couple (laughs) of days. Because he's on a swing shift and Hmm. um, it changes sometimes. And I just really cannot get past two or three days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, hey, before we get into our question, though, I want to just say a quick word from our friends over at the Homegrown Preschooler because they are making sure that this this episode or this podcast this month can happen. They're old friends of ours, um, and and what they're doing is they have these dedicated they're dedicated to providing books, curriculum, and educational tools for young learners. The latest brain research continues to confirm that beginning with a hands-on approach enables children to progress easily to more complex subject matter. So, Homegrown is giving you the tools to ensure that your child has a rich and enjoyable childhood while growing in knowledge and character. You know, I, as I was reading, I heard the birds chirping behind you. And you did. <laughs> I, I feel like reading a homegrown preschooler, um, homegrown preschooler copy while listening to the birds chirping is appropriate, given what they're all about. Yes, so. we planned that out so that we could. Uh, and I love the homegrown preschooler. They're they're so wonderful and and they're so faithful to look at the research and and um, and and help us to understand why what they're doing is important. Yeah. Um, so they have a. They have a program called A Year of Playing Skillfully, which provides everything you need to offer a young learner a complete early childhood education. We've done a bunch of this stuff at my house, and it's been great for us. I know Graham has done a lot of things. Graham Pittman um, has done a lot of a lot of their stuff at his house with his kids. So if you have that, you know, early early elementary um, preschool years, check out Homegrown Preschooler. It's thehomegrownpreschooler.com. And your child will be invited to discover and experience on a daily basis, delivering the necessary foundation for lifelong learning. It's a pre-planned, wonder-based curriculum which offers parents the opportunity to relax and enjoy those precious first years without compromising the quality of the education your children will receive. So again, thehomegrownpreschooler.com. If you do not know about them, definitely check them out. Um, Check out A Year of Playing Skillfully. And thanks to our friends over there for, for sponsoring the Mason Jar this month. Okay, Cindy. I feel like this is a question that you probably have experience with. I mean, you have, you had, as you said, nine kids. So a lot of these questions are related to at least one of your kids or to yourself. But this is a question um, about deciding which books to persevere with and which ones to ditch. We got a question about some, from somebody who was, um, who was doing Ambleside Online with a nine-year-old. Um, she says it's year four. And she mentions that he's a late reader, but has recently become able to read the famous five books. Um, 
the reading AO year four book, she says is in, independently is too much for him at the moment. So she either uses audiobooks or reads the books to him, usually with younger siblings around. So um, she said she looked at all the different years. And so she's wondering, you know, part of the question is, how do you know which year of Ambleside Online is the best fit? So you can address that if you'd like. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. That's a very specific to Ambleside um, question. So for those people who aren't listening, I think the other part that, who are listening that aren't Ambleside people, I think the other part is also relevant. How do you decide which books to persevere with and which books to ditch? Um, and we'll talk about that first. I'd like to hear from you first, just as a homeschool mom, as a teacher, how do you approach those questions? And then I've got some other questions about that from a bigger picture. So how, so start yeah. with that first. let's start with that first bit. How do you decide which books to persevere with and which books to just say, you know what, let's do this another time? Yeah, that's a tough question because I, fir- I think, first of all, um, it's very important. I, what I would do if, when I was picking out books for my children, I would go to some, I would get ideas from several places. I would not just get, um, um, in, in other words, if I only had a limited number of books, I'm going to be able to read to my child. I would just not get on some new, exciting thing that somebody recommends a book and just go with that and trust that that was going to be great for my child. I would find a list of books that was reliable and that was long-term and that maybe a couple of similar lists so that you could see, oh, this book is on every list. And and that way, when you go to read the book, you're you're reading something that has stood the test of time and um, you'll have less of that, um, oh, this book is not for us. Now, I have found that um, many people now, many younger moms did not grow up reading, and that's not their fault at all. But then, so that they struggle with some of these older books that are recommended on uh, over and over and over again, and they go to read them, and they're very difficult. I know when I was young, the, one of the books that I wanted to read out loud were the Uncle Remus stories. I could not read those. I, I had to ditch that book. It wasn't because, um, I mean, some people don't like those because they're considered racist at this point in time, um, but the stories themselves were you know, about Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox, but they were very, they were written in a lot of dialect and I could not read the dialect. So I had to stop reading those books. So a uh, dialect can sometimes be very difficult. And that might be a reason that you just can't read a book or your child can't read a book if there's a lot of dialect. Um, I think that there's a, there's something to be said for person. If, if you know for a fact that the book is highly recommended by a lot of different people, I would try to um, persevere through it a little bit. Um, but then if you, if it wasn't, you know, if, if you were getting to the place where nobody, there was a lot of complaints and you just, you don't want your child, I'm sorry, I'm actually trying to stop interrupting myself and restart my sentences. That's my new podcast uh, thing I'm working <laughs> on, but apparently it's going to be a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> um, but you don't want the child to get into the habit of telling you they're not going to, they don't want to read this. They don't want to read this. Oh, right, they don't want to yeah, read that. Right. Because you don't want them to dictate it. Right. Right. Yeah. So once you allow the child to do that, then you can be sure that's going to come up again. I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, try to get the child through the book as best you can. Even if you have to read it aloud, if it's a ch- if the child is reading the book to himself and he's struggling, sometimes it's just a matter of reading it aloud. I did that last year with my student and, and um, I just said, 
if he was really, really, really struggling with a book, I would often just say, well, let me try reading a chapter. Sometimes all I had to do was read a couple chapters and he, he got the feel of the book better. And then he went on to read the rest of the book on his own. Um, sometimes we did get to one book that is highly recommended that neither one of us um, I, I could get through. I'll, I'll go, it's an old book and I can't remember the author, but it was titled Swift Rivers and I'm gonna name it just so people can see that, you know, what kind of book. We, I read all kinds of books aloud and I've read many, many books over the years, but neither he nor I could get into that book. So we we did put that book aside. And um, I would just say that to be careful that you don't put things aside too quickly. Uh, maybe get a bunch of people's opinions so that you can find out, is this something we need to persevere through? Or is this something that is okay to let go of? And then um, make sure that that you're careful about your book choices so that you're not constantly having to do that because that's not going to be a very good habit for your children. Mm -hmm. And then they'll start manipulating you. Yeah. Yeah. So plan that, ahead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is there, so you talked about the idea of, you know, there's sort of, there's sort of a canon of, of books that are widely considered worth reading. <clears throat> right. So is there, I mean, at what point, you know, this was Anna is the person who asked these questions is, is there a point at which, um, Anna should should say, you know what? Or I guess an age or or a skill level at which she should be looking to say, you know, it's important that you persevere through this because this is a book that everyone needs to read. That there is something um, inherently valuable about this. Or or you know, when they're younger, is it okay to say? I mean, would you just not ask them to read difficult books at that point beyond their capacity, or would you, or would you say it's okay to? approach it using audiobooks or something like that. Because during the part I didn't read is she does say that she her son loves books and poetry and even Shakespeare and he listens to audiobooks for a couple of hours every day. He just can't read them independently yet. So would you rely on um, the audiobooks and things like that to introduce the books to him? Because he seems interested in the written word and literature in general. Or, or would you just wait until he can read them independently and not force him to persevere through those yet? Yeah, I would definitely, when you have an early reader, and I would say between, you know, 11 and under, I would definitely have the books that they read to themselves be lower than their grade level or lower than their ability. I would not be letting them, I would not be stretching them to read things that are too difficult for them. That's why like many... You, you mean if you have a late reader? Yes. If you have a ch any child who is going to read his own material, the material should not be at the highest level of his reading ability. It should be I at the, lo the lower end of the scale so that it's, it's, it's easy for him in some ways and he can get through it without a lot of difficulties. Um, there's, there's a time later when you want to stretch them. But um, stretching students too far um, above their levels can be negative. And even, even some homeschooling catalogs, you see uh, that they have uh, a seventh grade and they have the child reading uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, or uh, they have the child reading some very, very difficult books that, um, that are really not appropriate for that age. And it's such a waste of all the good books that the child could be reading such a waste of time. Sure, everybody should grow up eventually reading To Kill a Mockingbird, but 
to get it, there's no badge of honor for reading a book in seventh grade that you won't even get half of, of what you could have gotten out of it. So, um, so I think it's, it's better to re have, if the child is reading on their own, to have the book, um, you know, most, let's say most of his books should be below his actual reading level so that he can, um, so that he can thrive and get up, get better and better and better at reading and not worse and worse and worse at reading or give up at reading because it's discouraging to read the books. At all ages, if you're reading, a, there, are, there are times when you can read a really difficult book. Many parents in, in the Ambleside uh, one year, one, years one, two, three, and maybe four are still reading aloud some of the materials to their children. And I think that's fantastic. I think that it's still appropriate to read aloud, not all the books, but many of the books. A year one and two might be exclusively reading aloud. Uh, and then having your child's readers come from somewhere else um, or the free reading, uh, years three and four, you might still be um, reading aloud quite a bit of that material. And most moms, this is just part of their own education, most moms don't mind doing that at all because um, they those are great books to read. You're learning along with the child. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a large family, um, you can you you can kind of put all the books in a big pot, pick the ones you're going to read aloud, and um, then have the children read on their own um, different selections. But you don't have to stick strictly with one time period for every every time a person's being hurt. You know, every time a person hears a book or hears um, a story for that year. How long would you, or when would you start reading aloud things that are? I don't know. I don't I mean, this is going to vary from student to student, but that you, that most people would say are way ahead of them. You know, like, would you read, when would you start reading, I don't know, You're, Homer well, you, or Shakespeare or something aloud? Well, when we had Katie from um, Prime Periwinkle on, she talked about reading um, the fairy queen to her three-year-old. That child was interested. She didn't make that child listen to that book. That child did that on their own. Um, I, w I would say that you can, you can all, most children will listen, a well, you can read aloud to most, I always say read up in morning time. So this is, so what I, I'm kind of saying the opposite here, read down, have the child read down, but have you read up so mm -hmm. that you're reading to the oldest people in the room. But, but many books, the child can, um, many books, they can read it hear and listen to at different levels like you can read Shakespeare out loud to your whole family and everybody will get something um yeah. the three-year-old's not going to get a lot oh he may get more he actually may get more than the older kids in some ways because he'll be less prejudiced or he'll he won't be thinking this is too hard for me because everybody else he hasn't learned everything's too hard for him so you know Shakespeare how different is Shakespeare than all the other stuff he's hearing um it's not that different so um you you can read yeah. these things aloud to your children and and just accept that they're going to get some things out of them and they're going to get not going to get other things maybe things you wanted them to get out of them but um you're going to be getting you're going to be learning and growing too and the next time you read Shakespeare, you're going to know a little more how to read it, you're going to know a little more about the play and and, and you're going to be growing as a person too. You talk all, a lot about the idea of building a habit of reading. And it seems like, you know, reading 
reading, letting the kids read sort of, or not forcing them to read at too high of a level helps them cultivate the habit in their own lives because those, you know, they're not going to get as discouraged. But then you reading up is going to help them have the habit of reading those more difficult books of reading things that are more challenging. They're going to learn to recognize, you know, this is what great literature looks like at a young age. It's like with young children who have older siblings who are sort of precocious that have good vocabulary, for example. And like, okay, like my, um, my two-year-old, he says things at two and not even two and a half yet that the other boys never would have said because he's hearing the way they talk, right? He's spent talking to them all day long and he's, right. he's picking up a certain level of vocabulary. So we, every day he says something and we just laugh because like that word has 12 letters in it. How do you know how to say that? But it's because he, you know, he's talking to, I mean, he can't pronounce it and it takes him like four times to get it out, but he's trying to say it because he hears his brother saying it. And it's probably the same idea with reading. Like you're building that habit because you're spending time around it and that's going to pay off. You know, even if you're reading to the three-year-old, Shakespeare to the three-year-old, that's going to pay off when they're 10 because that'll have been ingrained in them. So I, it seems like that's one of the primary goals of an education, right? To build those habits. I think that almost all of early education should be language-based and any way we can make it language-based. This is the time to immerse them in the world of words and language. And anything that we do that's rich in language um, and the, the bulk of our days should be spent on language. This is not because math and science and, uh, are not important. It's because we have, we're giving them a foundation to handle um, the language that they're going to get in the maths and the sciences later. Um, and of course, there's a lot of narrative science books out there. So um, you, can, there, mm. you, you don't have to ignore science in the early years. You just have to hit it from a narrative perspective. But I think or being all, outside perspective. Yes, yes. I think all the research has shown that the most important foundation for a, a, a young early learner is a, a foundation in language. That is not to say that because a ch many children read at six that every child has to read at six and let's make it five or let's try to teach them to read at three. We're not talking about teaching them, them to read. As a matter of fact, that's just going to be a benefit later that comes. We're talking about mm. immersing them in language. Mm. Mm. One of the things that this, this person asks about, well, she mentions that she loves that capital L-O-V-E, that, that you never, you say you've never used a curriculum as it was meant to be, but she also acknowledges that there is a small part of her that wants to read all of the AO books to be properly part of the AO gang. She says, I think this is stupid, but that internal struggle is definitely there. Um, how do you, how would you recommend people approach, you know, a, a list or, or, or kind of a guide like what AO is offering, um, with limited time and, and I mean, yeah, I honestly, I, I wanted to say this, I'm glad you asked this because I was thinking of this the last time we talked about this, um, on the one hand, I never had trouble getting through an AO day, um, as as written in the curriculum i could get through all the books with the kids in in a in a as far as each day went. My problem was getting in enough of those good meaty school days to get through the curriculum in a year between just various, you know, large family things. Um, getting in 180 full-blown solid school days 
was difficult for me. So I didn't have trouble making the full-blown day work. I just had trouble accumulating enough of those um, with by the end of one year. So what happened with me is that it took me um, about 18 months to get through one AO year. Not because the individual days were difficult, but because I was doing other things too. I was taking the kids on nature hikes and, uh, you know, nine kids had to go to the dentist. Uh, that was <laughs> traumatic every six months. And um, I mean, it was I can't it really, even imagine. It was traumatic. It was, let's just say, traumatic. <laughs> and um, just all of the things that can interrupt a life uh, uh, with a large family, they're just, un, you know, they go on and on and on and on. So it was difficult for me to accumulate full-blown school days in, in, in the course of a regular school year. Hmm. Yeah. So you can, yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think one thing that I, I don't know if this is encouraging or not. I mean, if you're anybody who's teaching anybody is going to have that sort of challenge, the sense of there's never enough time and the, the challenge of feeling like, how, how do you meet all the goals? Right. That's not that, you know, that's not something that's unique to homeschoolers. And I actually think that in some ways, homeschoolers by homeschooling have sort of the flexibility and the freedom, the wild and f- wild freedom <laughs> yeah. to, to, um, to adapt to the demands, you know, like there, you, yeah, you do have to get all the yes. dentists, but, um, you know, you, you still have the freedom to adapt your day. Whereas the teacher in a school, I mean, everyone knows this. I'm not speaking, I'm speaking to the choir here. Whereas the teacher in the school you know, has a certain set of expectations from the families, from the school board, from the district or whatever it is that keep, that diminish their ability to, to work kind of within the sort of demands that the life cycle of a child's school year sort of puts upon them. Um, so, you know, I, it seems like, I mean, I'm not a homeschooling mom and I don't really want to pretend to offer encouragement or anything, but I would say <laughs> that use, you know, where you can use that freedom because that's, that's a benefit. You know, that's one of the reasons why you're homeschooling, presumably. So take advantage of it. Right. Well, we off, I think so homeschooling moms often think, especially when they face an interruption, wow, if we were, if they were in school, you know, they wouldn't have this interruption and, and the train would just keep moving. The fact of the matter is when the train keeps moving, the learning train keeps going, a lot of people fall off and stop learning along the way. And one thing with homeschooling with those built-in interruptions is every you have time kind of to tamp it all down. Those interruptions are times when the learning can settle and the brain can think. I, I just saw a TED talk where the girl was talking about how important it is to be bored. And um, in homeschooling families, when, when, when maybe you have a major interruption that, that interrupts mom, maybe the kids have a chance not to do anything during that time. That is all time that the learning that they have been, you've been feeding them is going to settle in. And if we don't have that moment, those moments of settling in, then we are not going to retain nearly as much as we would. So it's kind of our way of uh, making up for the fact that we do have interruptions. Mm, yeah. That's why I, I'm not a, I'm not like a hater on screen time per se, but, um, or like, <clears throat> I don't know, we, we let our kids watch stuff here and there. So yeah. 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 But, um, 
But the one time I'll never let my kids watch is if they're like, I'm bored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll let you watch if, you know, we need to do something or, or you know, mom's pregnant and she needs a nap. <laughs> we're, sitting, we're sitting at the dentist. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting at the <laughs> dentist. If only I had had some electronics technology. <laughs> uh. Yeah, but, but like the one time I'll, if, if, my, if my boys say I'm bored, I want to watch. It's just like automatically, no, yes. go, go climb a tree. I'm not, yeah. you're not watching. Um. So, okay, we should wrap this up here, but um, w- on audiobooks, what is your, we talked about it a little bit, but as far as, you know, um, Anna was asking about, you know, her son loves literature and she's mentioned that they do audiobooks for a couple hours a day. Would you incorporate audiobooks into the AO sort of um, structure? Like if you're looking at the AO list, would you do the audiobooks or would you say that it's more important that you read the books to them to, to sort of, I don't know how to put it this exactly, but to sort of count it as part of their school? Yeah, that's a really tough question, and I'm conflicted about it. I can see the value of the child hearing a language in their ear over the course of their life, and I think there is some good to be had from audiobooks, and I think we had um, Amy Edwards on, and she made a very good case for that. I'm hesitant. I I don't believe that that is ultimately the best way for them to learn or to get their books. I don't believe that um, that should be the default for getting through the AO books. I think um, it it. I think it's better if we um, use the audio books maybe for after school. So then the kid, the child can do whatever he wants with the audio books after school. That's all on the plus side. That's every, that's extra. That's how I would prefer to use the audio books. That's not to say you, you couldn't say, well, we don't really have very much time and this is one of the books in the, in the list and we're not going to get to it. So I'm just going to say this is on your audio book list and you can listen to it after school. I, I think you could get away with that, but I would probably think that during the school day, there would be some value in not using audiobooks until after school. And then it's a great way to kind of counteract the the technolo- technolo- technological pull because now the technology is the audiobook rather than, you know, the whatever you call that game that everybody plays, Fortnite or... <laughs> yeah. You Although probably, you probably could listen to... Yeah, you could probably listen to an audiobook while you're playing a game. I'm not sure, but some of them could. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess you could use, you know, I, I like the idea of if there's certain books that maybe they're a slightly lower priority, but you, there's still books that you're, you'd, you'd appreciate your kids having some experience with, you know, putting an audiobook on of that book while you're driving to the dentist or oh, yeah. while you're, you know, I don't know, doing chores or something like that or while they're playing with Legos or something. That, I could see that there's value in kind of balancing out some of the, you know, the demands of the, or just balancing out with the things they're getting experience with while also kind of meeting the demands of the day. Um, yes. I mean, that's how I use audiobooks for myself. I have a long commute to, to work. I, I listen to an audiobook. And um, if I'm doing, some, if I never, I don't have to feel um, like I'm wasting time during some parts of the day because I'm listening to an audiobook. Although, um, according to that girl, I need to also not let myself, I, it would be good to be bored sometimes. And maybe I don't have to always listen to an audiobook. Maybe I could just drive for an hour in silence and find out what's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that would be scary. Yes. Um, I have a five minute commute today and or to work and I didn't listen to anything for all five minutes and it was deeply unsettling. 
was it? Oh no, no music, nothing. Huh? No, no podcast, no news. I just sat there. I don't know what to do with my hands. Luckily I had a steering wheel. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, well, thanks again, Cindy. Um, for, I know you're always up for discussing reading for sure. Yes. So <laughs> when in doubt, pull up a reading question, right? Um, uh, that's right. Uh, so we will be, like we said, we'll be, we, uh, bringing you uh, Cindy's conversation with Renee um, next week, next Wednesday. And uh, thanks to Homegrown Preschooler for sponsoring. If you want to learn more about them and a year of playing skillfully, you can go to thehomegrownpreschooler.com. Any final thoughts, Cindy, before we sign off? No, I think that covers it. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, if you want to um, find out about... Well, actually, you know what? I was going to say... I was going to say find out about something else, but we should just quickly mention that the Advent Guide is back. Uh, people can pre-order that now. That's the uh, the book that Cindy edited that we published last year. We had a limited run. Um, we're going to have another limited run this year. So if you're interested in that, head over to um, our website, CerseiInstitute.com or go over to MereMotherhood.com and follow the links there. Uh, that is a, it's a guide to Advent that uh, is built kind of around uh, Handel's Messiah. There's essays and... Um, um, reflections on how people, different people celebrated Advent and Christmas. Um, there are, um, there's background on the different parts of Handel's Messiah from Greg Wilbur. There's an essay on the church, the, the church calendar, the, uh, Cindy put recipes in there. Um, so that's a pretty cool product. Um, and it's been flying off the shelves, so to speak again this year, the digital shelves, I guess. Um, so if you want to, if you want to get a copy of that, um, there's still some left. So you can, again, head over to CerseiInstitute.com or MereMotherhood.com and follow the links there. Um, so Cindy, do you have any advice on how to use that quickly? If I, if you, have, if you had one piece of advice on how to use that book, what would you say? That I would, well, some people have been thrown by the links because I just cobbled together some um, YouTube links. All you really need is one full recording of the Messiah. Any, any recording, I tried to make it very easy to figure out which um, aria or which song or which choral work they were doing by giving you little hints about the first few words. So it, you really honestly just need to pick a recording and go with it. We have some suggestions, but um, you're free to get on Amazon Prime, your uh, Spotify, any of those. I've used all of those for the, for, for listening to different. Last year with my student, we, um, I just got on Amazon Prime. I actually find, found the album there that I use anyway um, that with the London Philharmonic. So, and John Hodges has another record. I'm not John. Greg, I think, has his favorite recommendation in there. And pretty much they, almost all of them follow the same um, libretto. So um, it shouldn't be really difficult to listen to the music. You should be able to find that pretty simply. Hmm. Well, we've heard a lot of good things from people about how they use that during Advent and change their morning time and how all the kids in their homes loved it. So um, when the kids also love it, I feel like that you've got something. To, yeah, something I love on. it because it's something you can do every year. It's short and um, eventually your children will um, have Handel's Messiah in their heart at, at, at Christmas time as, as, a, as a beautiful memory. Mm, mm, yeah. All right. Well, again, check that out if you're interested. Limited supply, um, but there are still some copies left and those will ship out in early November to make sure that they're there in time for Advent. All right. Well, with that, for Cindy Rollins and for all of us here at the Associate uh, Institute Podcast Network, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week with Cindy's conversation with Renee Mathis. Mm-hmm.